0: Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Cree Annotators. I'm joined today by John Jennings, author, adapter of After the Rain, a new graphic novel coming out from Megascope, an imprint that he is curating from Abrams Comic Arts. I'm really excited to talk about this work and also everything that you're doing on Megascope. John, thanks so much for joining. How are you doing today?
1: Thank you so much for having me, Dave. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You know, um, just dealing with all the things, you
0: know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're we're recording this as we're putting 2020 to bed, uh, more or less, which I think is a symbolic, a very uh, meaningful symbolic gesture for many after a, a wild and difficult year. But of course, there is a lot to be done in 2021 to continue making things better. Um, we're going to talk today about After the Rain, the new graphic novel, an adaptation of a Nnedi Okerefor, uh short story. Actually, um, mm-hmm. and it's really interesting work. I really dug this graphic novel a lot. Actually, uh, this is by yourself and David Brame on on illustrations. I think if I'm not mistaken, did you color this as well? That's
1: correct. Yeah, I did the colors on it. I'm, for some reason, I'm uncredited, but, it, you know, who, who cares? You know, <laughs> but yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, no, they, it, they, it
0: threw they, me because you're you're credited as the um, as the writer, you know, and, and yeah, adapting right. the, the writing. Uh, but then I saw I think it was an interview where you mentioned that you colored it as well, which is which is significant. Like this is a gorgeously colored and, and illustrated work. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about that. Definitely. I, I want to start with like your credits across the the comics world are varied uh you're writing drawing coloring backup essays i think in in the likes of bitter root you know i've seen Mm -hmm. you in Uh, i think that's actually where i was first introduced to like yourself and your work Mm -hmm. how do you determine sort of your focus in the medium um kind of where you want to be
1: you know it depends on on what's happening with the particular project i think because the fact that comics can be so uh collaborative which i love i love collaborating with people um my pro- my primary job is as a scholar. I mean, I, I'm a professor of media studies, you know, mm-hmm. at, at University of California, Riverside. And I study comics. I study how like race and identity are portrayed in the comics medium and other types of visual media. So, you know, I think from an organiz- I'm a, I think I'm like an, organ- an organizer, like what basically what is necessary for the story. Mm-hmm. And to me, everything is storytelling to a certain degree. Even like curation is like you're telling a particular story. You're editing. You're telling a particular story um Even when you're teaching, you know, when you're studying history. These are all different types of story mechanisms. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't have to be the primary voice every time. I just try to figure out, like, well, how can we actually like work together to get the best version of the story out? You know, so sometimes yeah. we'll be a colorist. Sometimes if I have to letter, if I have to, you know, take out the trash, you know, it depends on <laughs> <laughs> it depends on what the on what what hat I need to wear. But at the end of the day, I think as long as the story is served properly, I think that's what I focus on, you know? And sometimes I'm better at being the colorist than I am at being the lead artist, or sometimes I'm better at being the editor and then being the letterer, that kind of thing. So, yeah.
0: Interesting, yeah. No, that's cool. That makes a lot of sense. I I think that also... I mean that ties into now this role you've you've taken on as curator of the Megascope imprint where yes. you know you mentioned like your day job is your historical scholar I mean a lot of times I know like in museums history museums they have a literal curator right there's the word gets doubled up here that's what you're doing now with these works that are going to be coming out as this imprint within abrams comics which i'm when i got the email about like hey here's all the the graphic novels we have this year what which ones do you want to check out Mm -hmm. as i was going through the list i'm like well this one this one this one they were all the megascope books like every single one of them i was like these sound these solicits sound really interesting um what can you tell us yeah like what can you tell us about what's coming from that imprint and kind of how your role as curator uh took form okay
1: well um First of all, you know, uh, Abrams Comic Arts has been around for a little bit over a decade now. It was created by um, Charlie Coxman, who um, is probably in some ways most famous for discovering Greg Kinney, who mm-hmm. uh, actually writes the Diary of a Wimpy Kid books, right? Yeah. And so, you know, Charlie has a very storied, um, you know, career as an editor and a curator himself. You know, he's this wonderful, uh, wonderful human being and just a great editor and has worked in publishing for many years. And so what ends up happening is he gets over to Abrams and he starts Abrams Comic Arts, because what was happening was that Abrams, as as an art publisher, was putting out intermittently books about comics, right? And so like, oh, wait a minute, this actually could, com- this could be a compelling imprint. And so that's kind of like how comic art started. Yep. So, you know, we jump a few years into the future, and then me and my, my, uh, my really good friend, Damian Duffy, who is the adapter of the Octavia Butler books, and I'm an illustrator for, or we like, co-adapted or what have you, um, he basically had to do the, the job of actually taking the story and turn it into a graphic novel script, right? And I had to
0: draw okay. it. So, um, those and were, that's, you're talking about Kindred, Kindred and uh, yes. Parable of the, the Sower, which came out Thank last you
1: very week. much. I'm sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Kindred uh, by Octavia Butler and also Par- Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, both are out now. Um, and I think what, what it was is that we kind of hit a spot where like black speculative culture was kind of taken off again or really people were looking at it. And you had a couple of benchmarks for that, and particularly in film, like, for instance, Black Panther, Get Out, those different types of stories which are speculative in nature, which is like speculative culture or speculative art deals with things that are not necessarily quote-unquote reality. So like magic, magical realism, horror stories, science fiction, that kind of thing. So Octavia Butler primarily wrote science fiction. You know, uh, she did some uh, magical realism stuff. Kindred, I think, would fall into what I call the ethnogothic because it's like magical Mm. uh, gothic story that deals with race, right? Right. So that was successful and uh, I was having a conversation with the publisher uh, Andrew Smith over dinner at uh, uh, American Library Association Conference in Chicago actually and um you know, I was talking about just like what the future might hold for like these types of stories because there was a lot of momentum around opening up uh, who gets to see themselves reflected in the stories. you know this is yeah. as you know, um most media spaces are have issues around you know representation, particularly like publishing, you know yeah and um i told him like well you know there are other stories that we could do you know in this format and he's like well just let us know what you want to put out and we'll try to acquire it right and so but i was like i was thinking about original content and he said oh well that sounds like an imprint (laughs) and i was like oh okay Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah i guess it does sound like an imprint so yes what happened was. Um, I was doing some curatorial work with my friend, Ronaldo Anderson, at the Schomburg Center in New York, and around the same time we were curating this show called Unveiling Visions, um, uh, Adrian Brown and Britt Russert, these two professors, they were going through W.E.B. Du Bois' papers, like, yeah. they were going to put together a collection of his fiction writing. A lot of people don't realize, but he wrote a lot of fiction, actually, too. Yeah. And like I'm talking about romances, adventure stories, you know, and he had written science fiction before, we knew that, but they found this unpublished, unknown, you know, science fiction story called Princess Steel. And in yeah. it was this device that could see through time and space into different realities, you know, and it was like a big you know, telescope. It was called the Megascope, right? And I just thought it was a that would be a really great name for an imprint that is concerned with uncovering you know, different ways of seeing, or you know, uh, looking at you know comics and literature from a various from a new perspective. You know, and you know, literally finding history. You know, so a lot of the stuff I want to put out is like things that people don't know about. You know, or things that I grew up like reading. That you know, you know, if you're not African American. In this country, you maybe you don't you're not really privy to that kind of stuff, you know. So yeah. like a lot of people don't know like, you know, black artists or black writers, that kind of thing. In fact, you know, a lot of people Abrams didn't know who Octavia Butler was, for instance, you know, even though she's like super famous and the grand dame of science fiction, you only know what you're exposed to, right? So yeah. the idea was like, well, can we expose people to more stories like this, you know, in the comics form and then really make it um you know, varied types of stories, varied uh, uh, subject matter. We also are looking at like crime fiction, for instance, we I'm a big crime crime fiction fan. <laughs> and also, um, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, fiction, uh, historical fiction as well, you know? And yeah, so that's kind of how, how Megascope was born. So, you know, I pitched them the idea. They were like, this sounds great. What kind of books would you do? So I brought them back like a bunch of titles that I would love to do just as, uh, you know, I'm kind of like armchair literary scholar you know i'm not trained in literature but you know i'm really i love storytelling you know from various standpoints and i just like you know what i want to share these types of stories with the world and i think it would be a great thing you know so that's kind of how we started and um you know we wanted to focus on primarily science fiction fantasy you know speculative fiction and have these other things kind of come in as well so the, the line is focused on stories by and about people of color, you know, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of times those particular stories get kind of like swept under the rug. Now, that's not saying that you can't be a white creator coming in and telling a story. If it's if it's an appropriate story, we definitely will be looking at creators from all backgrounds, but the central subject, should be like, you know, someone of color doing these amazing things. Cause yep. we just don't see it enough to the point where it's become like, the, the, the idea is, is is to present these stories to the point where it becomes normalized. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that's the idea. So,
0: Right. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. No, I love that. I love that. I Everything about that is so appealing. I mean, I think when I was reading about the Megascope, too, it's like that's such a comic book idea. It, <laughs> you know, it, like, yeah. this telescope can see through time. And that that was like early 1900s. I think it was, yeah, like, it was 1908. like 1908,
1: 19, something like, yeah, it was, yeah, he was still in Atlanta. You know, this is when he was still down at Clark Atlanta, I think. And, um, you know, this is crazy, because it was it was written while he was in the south you know because I'm from the south myself, yeah from Mississippi and um you know I just thought it was such a wonderful you know the way he uses it is like classic sci-fi too it's like a framing device for the story mm-hmm. and then there's an allegory that really is his critique of the u.s steel or the, the steel industry right mm-hmm. but the story itself is actually like a fantasy story yeah with <laughs> like knights and ogres and witches and stuff It's crazy
0: yeah yeah I love no, it right no it's 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 really good um i am curious so you mentioned you know kind of the the focus on the types of works that you want to bring into megascope Mm -hmm. um and obviously here we're talking a little bit about after the rain which is going to come out early 2021 as as Mm -hmm. one of the first if not the first from the imprint, um, and, and you worked with. Well, you mentioned Damien Duffy on on the Octavia Butler works, like Kindred. Mm-hmm. I know did did really well. Parable of the Sower. I saw some some best of lists for sure this year. Um, I read Kindred actually just recently in mm-hmm. in anticipation of this. I had not read the novel. Now I've read the graphic novel, and um, it's it, it's an essential read. I, I think it's absolutely like like Butler's thinking and just the simplicity, but also like the the simplicity of the idea of the concept, but how hard it hits. I think, well, in terms of that time travel in well, 70s and Civil War, <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely brilliant and well worth the read. Um, when you're selecting works, mm-hmm. how do you then go, like, what's kind of your process in adapting it into comic book form? Because um, you've been on both sides now, illustrator, at really all levels of a colorist, writer. Um, yeah. How do you kind of balance that economy, changing prose, changing dialogue, anything like that?
1: It's really difficult <laughs> yeah. because the first thing is like, you know, whenever, and this is something I always say, like when when you realize, whenever you start changing, you know, a particular story to another medium, you're already changing the way the story is gonna be interacted with. You know, that's what yeah, right. I'm always, like just, you can't keep, the, because you have different affordances and different media, you know? So so something that works on television might not necessarily work on in a comic, that kind of thing, because the way yeah. that they tell stories is different. so. You have to understand both, and and, and the affordances of both. Uh, comics is really interesting because it's hybrid already. You know, it's actually it can be. It, it has everything is a picture in a comics. Everything uh, in the in a comic can be a storytelling mechanism, right? So that includes the framing. That includes like the way that the that the the letters are done, the color themselves. And someone's sometimes people refer to the coloring as like the soundtrack of the comic. If you're going to kind of map it onto like a the discourse of film, for instance. So. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, it's very tricky because, you know, Damien is a master. I, I think once we finished uh, Kendrick, I mean, he, he went through a process where he was kind of making this really meta script. And we had a wonderful editor on Kendrick called She her name was Sheila Keenan, just a brilliant woman and just a, uh, su- you know, Hats off to Sheila. She sh- she's to the point where she really should have had like a credit on the c- on the cover because it's like, yeah, she helped us understand like what needed to be cut and what was essential, you know, to the story. Uh, what needed to be collapsed into one scene, those types of things, you know. Sure. Um, because a lot of you know uh, Octavia Butler's prose is very terse. It's very sharp and 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 to the point. Like it's almost like perfectly chosen words, you know. What sure. I'm saying? Yeah. And that she chooses the best words, you know, as to, to describe it or something. And it's very, like you said, a gut punch, like it's very visceral, you know? And so we wanted to focus on that. The other thing is that you whenever you're doing an adaptation like this, you try to focus on the things that comics do best, you know? So you'll see stuff we're doing like cutaways or like directions or, you know, uh, these really surreal aspects, you know, cause comics to me also have this kind of inherently surreal quality to them. You know, yeah. when I'm teaching like, uh comics to like my beginning comic students you know because i teach a course like it's called between the panels and it's just it's an intro to comics cu- culture you know there nice. are yeah. a lot of people who've never read comics before in their lives you know which is really awesome so i tell them like well say say you're out with your family at like tgi fridays or something right and you know you're in you're, this is real life and a, and a dude an orange rabbit comes in you know you would think that you're losing your mind you know Right, you think like something is really wrong with this person, you know, it comes and sits at your table, and it's like, Oh my god, this orange rabbit just sat at my table and really, you know, security, right? But in a comic book, you know, an orange rabbit comes in and sits with your family, you say, Oh, how are you doing, cousin Frank? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's a very different like mindset because the setup is so surreal, and so that's something we try to focus on a lot too. So, the panel borders, you know, everything. You know, everything is is a storytelling piece. So that's the first thing to understand how those things uh, relate to each other. Um, The other thing you have to deal with, too, is the fact that when you sign a contract to adapt a book, the page count is in the contract. (laughs) So it's like you cannot go past this particular because like if it's 176 pages, it's got to be 176 pages. Yeah. Um, So that is a very interesting uh, uh, problem solving uh issue because you have to figure out like well we only have this many pages to tell the story yeah. i remember when i was looking at uh we talked about this quite a bit when we're uh interviewed together me and damien and there's this there's this uh schematic that he had like i think he only had like 70 more pages left you know to tell the rest of the story of kindred and he basically had to be very meticulous So he has this grid you know just kind of drawn out of what needed to happen you know and so it it forces you to be to create these little like visual haikus of the story you know sure. like you said you use the word economy economy is a very uh very, very big uh part of this particular process because you don't have 300 pages to tell the story mm-hmm. i mean kindred is what 240 you know um yeah. And uh, parable, I think, is what two seventy something I don't even remember anymore in just a second. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, th- those are the things to to take into a, to to advise me. The other thing is that uh comics are very symbolic as well. So you are using visual metaphor and sim- symbolism very differently than how you imagine things uh, in, a, in a in a prose piece. And those are some of the different pitfalls and strange problem uh solving things that have to be dealt with when you're trying to translate something um it's weird because you know you have to become really you know connected to the story you're you're telling and a very like emotional uh connection to the story and how do you translate the affect of the story that you think that you're feeling to a visual format it's a weird kind of comic book alchemy
0: yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so well, I do think After the Rain is it, successful in that regard, or my read of it was because the the surreal nature of not only like the comics world, but mm-hmm. also that specific short story, which has a very supernatural kind of mysterious, this this undertone of yeah. the suit, like menace, essentially, mm-hmm. um, that literally comes through in in the panel borders and the layouts that that you and, and David Brame instill in this work, where it's mm-hmm. like the panel borders are like, there, it, it's very, and I'm a big superhero guy, so it's like, it's very swamp thing, mm-hmm. right? With a lot of these like menacing, you know, natural sort of world, like encroaching on the panels. Yes. It makes every page really, really compelling. And, and that like, again, that sense of menace, it, I, I sort of hate the like, the comparison of the original text versus the yeah. graphic novel adaptation. I, I imagine you don't love this either. Um, this happened a lot with the, there's a Slaughterhouse-Five adaptation this year by by Ryan North and Albert Montes, which is really, really good. It's a great yeah. graphic novel, but yeah. I saw a lot of screaming headlines that were like, better than Vonnegut. And I'm like, no, it's tough. Yeah, don't
1: do that. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, like, no.
0: it's hard not to though, right? So,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I, I hear it when people do it and I see why, but I, the point I wanted to make without doing that sort of comparison is to say it sells that menace in a way that text cannot. And I think mm-hmm. that's where you get an advantage for moving to the graphic novel medium where it is like, okay, why are we adapting this? Well, we're adapting it to tell the story to a new audience in, in a way that will connect hopefully with readers who are more likely to read it maybe in this form. Right. right. And, and that's some of the yeah. advantage of, of Kindred as well. Um, how much, uh, when you, because you've done all these things and you have this understanding of what you want to sell through, when you're working with uh, the illustrator, David Brame here, how much are you working with him on page design and, and visual aesthetic and all that? Like how, what are those conversations like?
1: On this particular project, quite a bit actually, because, um, I'm, I'm good friends with Nettie as well. And so she made yeah. a lot of output, uh, input, uh, as she should, you know, uh, on things. So, so i have wanted to do this story for about eight years, you know. Yeah. Just so you know, um, I loved it, you know, because I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of her work, um, and she doesn't do a lot of short stories, you know. Yeah. And back in the day, she used to be a huge horror fan, like she was a big Stephen King and Clive Barker fan. You can tell, like from our, her earlier stuff, you know. I think yeah. maybe once she had Anya, her, her, her daughter, that I think it did just got a bit too rough for. her. So now she doesn't yeah. really mess with like scary stuff as much as she used to. Like for me, yeah. this one came across as like a horror story, you know, or is disguised as a horror story, but it really is kind of like a. It's really about the the tension of self discovery in a certain way too, you know, and it's uh, and it presents itself in this really visceral. Uh, ass- I mean, she assaults her character, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. with the tensions between the two cultures that she's caught in the middle of, and you know, Nettie is uh, what she calls Niger American, right? She, she's. Mm-hmm. You know her Her parents were um you know they were kind of refugees from the biafran war but they were studying in america and they just stayed and they raised their family three daughters you know and a son in uh you know the suburbs of chicago you know so um and a lot of it is about the tensions of you know you know nettie coming up and i see so much of her in chioma the main character you know sure. who's also from chicago <laughs> by yeah, right. yeah, yeah. uh so you know I wanted to do this for a while. Um, She agreed to it, and I did. I started thinking about it because I have actually stops and starts on the story. I actually I can send these to you later if you want to look at them. But um, different ways that I wanted to um, to deal with the story. Sometimes we thought about it being a webcomic. We thought about it being like illustrated fiction. We had all kinds of interesting. We wanted to do it, you know. And so what happened was um, I ended up breaking down the story myself. and, and so I actually have like the original page breakdowns, you know, and because I was trying to do it myself. And then what happened was I just got super busy, got married, and ended up moving across country, having a baby, you know, all kinds yeah, of stuff. That'll do it. Right? I really loved the story and I really wanted it to be done. And I was like, so I reached out to David. And we've been working on some stuff together. We actually work on a uh, we're kind of creative team. We call ourselves Black Cats, actually, B L K K A T Z. And, okay. um, yeah, and we we a lot of times, uh, you know, we'll either do the mar- marble method or something, or we'll actually like collaborate a lot on designs, or you know, we have a, we have a good rapport when it comes to like visualization. And so I yeah. asked him, well, if I, you know, if I colored this, you know, could you do the artwork on this story? I really want to do it, and he was like, yes. So the first we did is like the first twenty, we did like twenty pages of it, and we have been shopping around. Um, we had actually had a lot of conversations at a couple other spaces and then what happened, and those were looking pretty good, but what happened was uh, we got the Megascope deal and I was like, you know what, this actually would be a great lead book for Megascope, you know? And yeah. so that's how it ended up. And I pitched it to them as a, as a book and they loved it. And um, that's how it happened. So as far as like the visual pieces though, I mean, David's is an b- amazing visual stylist like i love his i love david's work you know i'm a big fan and i'm we're friends and I'm, but i love his work <laughs> um, okay. and um and we have a um you know my colors are really simpatico with how he thinks about space you know and that kind of thing and so we had a lot of conversations about you know how how to get across as you said the tensions the underlying tensions and so we were thinking like well the quote-unquote real world would be in the panels, right? Mm -hmm. And this kind of ghost world, the -hmm. the bush, you know, that Amos Tutuola talks about in My Life in a Bush of Ghosts, is kind of under the panels, you know, Mm -hmm. creeping. And as you say, like, what's really interesting about it is that you can, um, we're trying to design panels that were really dense and beautiful and, you know, opulent, but terrifying, you know, because she talks about like, uh, this idea of being able like when she's like smell is something that she writes about a lot in the story. And I was like, well, how do yeah. you, how do you, how do you draw a smell? <laughs> right. right. So and she said, she said that the thing that she smells, smelled like life and death simultaneously. Right. If you see the story, you see this, what we call the death flower. So it's basically a flower, so it's a pungent flower smell, but in the middle you have this skull. Right. And so, and she reacts to it, she smells it. Right. But we also have the flowers up there. Right. And this is something you really couldn't do in like film, or like other media, right? You can actually right. s- create a symbol, and then you 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 use it over and over again. So the audience knows that when they see the flowers, the smell is there, you know. Mm. Which is one of my favorite things. And so yeah. she loved the that flower thing, and um, yeah. So we just ran with it, and we just we checked with Nettie on quite a few things. We did add some passive. We added some things, you know. Mm. Ah, uh, the can because the the story, you know, it needed to be a certain length, and we wanted to kind of expand a few things, like when Chioma goes into the the spirit world, for instance. That doesn't happen in the in the original, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, but we consulted a lot, and we consulted with Nettie a lot as well, which I was really happy that we did. So, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. I I wondered about adding that the spirit realm essentially. Mm-hmm. I do think something. It's something that helps sell it visually a lot, actually, and frankly, help my own comprehension. Of of what the main character, what the protagonist is going through here, it's which through, is.
1: exactly yes, <laughs> yeah
0: yeah, like that, it, it really connected when I saw that presented visually. Um, that's really interesting that you would go to Nettie, you know, the original writer, to say like, hey, we're. I, I wonder, you know, when you're expanding things, is there a is there an awkwardness or or an anxiety to that in terms of taking someone else's work. And building upon it. Um, but it sounds like you know, you have a pretty close relationship with all the, the creators here where yeah. you are able to do that pretty comfortably. Um all the creator,
1: where, Yeah. All the creator, including Damien, by the way, because he did the letter, lettering for us. So
0: oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize. Oh, cool, mm-hmm. cool. So yeah, you've got the the whole gang in tow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> on, on <this laughs> Perfect. Uh no, it's a it's a really engaging read. I I highly recommend people check it out. Um was there so well, you mentioned you had it in like a 20 page kind of form initially were you ever considering like floppies like taking it to like um like comic shops or was it always like oh we'll go the graphic novel route once we have this kind of
1: no no the 20 pages was for a pitch so we actually decided to like do 20 pages of what was going to be probably over 100 or so we already we imagined it as a graphic novel you know yeah when i said we did 20 pages it was basically like we just went ahead just knocked we did we did the first 10 pages right and i said this is good people so people because the story is set up that it starts like, it's a very, like-
0: Oh, it, it pulls uh, you in fast. You know? <laughs> like,
1: yeah. you know, like that, like the, it happens real fast, you know, and that's what I liked about it actually. Cause like, oh, wait a minute. We are going to escalate from this. This is already crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and then we wanted to do uh, 10 pages of the, the monster, you know, like the, the, um, the, the asphalt, like dragon kaiju guy <laughs> right, right. yeah, <laughs> So because we just thought, okay, these are compelling parts and they, you know, we really wanted to sell the book from those standpoints, even though there's a lot of quiet, you know, there's a lot of conversations between her and her grandmother and her auntie, her great aunt. Yeah. So, um, and also too, we wanted to kind of bring out some of the other characters like, you know, the, uh, the palm wine salesman, it's one of my favorite was yeah. actually, that we kind of yeah. expanded a little bit too. So, um, yeah. And so it, we, we, we thought about, it as a graphic novel from the start but that was like we, we we figured if we had like 20 solid pages of the story then anybody that we we're trying to like pitch it to would get it you know so
0: for sure for sure mm-hmm. okay cool no that makes sense um i wanted to go back to, to kindred for a moment because mm-hmm. it's it, it's an important work and again I, I mentioned i i did go back and check it out um i was reading it with it kind of in the in the holiday season and, you know, kind of engaging with some, which means a lot of engaging with family. And a lot of times it's family who doesn't have similar shared opinions. And, and some of the conversation that I right. encountered this year was sort of like resenting, like this idea of institutional racism and sort of the denial that some people have that this is a thing that is present in America. Right. And I, I think reading Kindred to me is one of those works that really highlights sort of selling like why it's still relevant and and Mm -hmm. that legacy of generational trauma that that African American individuals can feel today Mm -hmm. and and, and that was my experience reading it right as as a white male what Mm -hmm. was your hope adapting that work and kind of what has it been like since because it seems like I mean definitely like this year there's been so much conversation around racial uh tensions in America and just like obviously that has been amplified in I think in a lot of Obviously, it's a very negative situation, but it's been amplified in a lot of positive ways where people are learning and There's and-
1: a lot of like reconciliation, you know, which I'm very excited about, you know. So that's, yeah. good, you know, and I think that's really good. Um, I think the original hope was for people not to hate us and stone us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> because it was like the bare minimum was like make something that doesn't, that isn't terrible, you know we had a we didn't at the end of the day we only had like a little bit of time to make that book too i think i might have drawn that book and and did all the artwork and maybe like six to eight months so Dang. yeah maybe sure because of how we we had some amount, some weird things with you know editorial side of stuff you know with abram so it was it was it was our first big book too and you know we just kind of made a lot of mistakes too but at the end of the day i think we wanted to make sure that we created something that was that got to the core of the story that we felt represented what we felt the story was trying to get across um yeah. to honor octavia's words you know and to create a pathway for new readers you know for people who had never heard of it before you yes. know read this and be like i want to know more you know because that's what happened to us and when we read octavia butler's work for the first time i was like oh my god this is amazing is there anything else you know and that's what we wanted people to to see. I love the fact too, that we worked directly with the, um, the estate agent and the, her family, you know, actually approved of the work that we did. So that was very empowering as well. And, um, yeah, I just think we wanted to make something that was compelling and, and, and really dealt with the themes of the the work, which is honestly why we picked Parable of the Sower next because after Trump won the election, uh, we were like, you know what? Parable, the parable duology is, uh, painful you know and but we're like you know what we're willing to take it on just to kind of like again deal with what's going on in the, the society right know? because parable of the sower is kind of like you walk outside and you're in the story <laughs> you know it's yeah, like yeah. It's, very, uh, it's kind of frightening like how it's much-
0: concerning how uh how like how accurate it feels right yeah. like, yeah. like All so the
1: collapse of different systems the fires you know in california yeah. set in like southern california where i live you know there's actually a character from riverside in the second book you know yeah dang,
0: right
1: yeah, so that's kind of what we want to get across like the relevance of her work and then like opening up to you know to new readers but for the most part we just wanted to celebrate her work and then create something that we could be proud of and that people would would love you know or at least not hate us for, <laughs> and I'm sure some people hate it. You know, and that's that's totally fine. But you know, for the most part, people seem like they enjoyed it because we were trying to create something that was. Um, I was really influenced by Kathy Cole. Was his work, you know, and uh, the whole thing is is drawn in Sharpie too. We wanted, I wanted to use something oh, really? really difficult to work with, you know. Yeah, um, there's not a lot of like nuance you can do with like a Sharpie, you know. So I had three different Sharpies uh, and one with the big fat Sharpie and the the one in the middle that everybody uses and the little skinny one. And I was kind of like, just trying to create something that was unwieldy, like the story was, you know? That's interesting.
0: That's very interesting. No, I I think you and and Damien Duffy definitely succeeded in terms of the impact. And, you know, that's, it's become a a text that I think in the comics world now, when people say, okay, what, what are books about racial reconciliation that are essential and important to read? Kindred has become one of those And, and to your a secondary point there like it has inspired myself as well to be like yeah i need to read a lot more octavia butler mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know and, and I, yeah. I would love to read more of this work um awesome so what what else do you find yourself looking for um with megascope moving into 2021 so you have this whole slate of announcements i guess the question is like what what is next uh kind of from you and what is your your hope for kind of where this goes into next year
1: well, you know, um, let's see, so the next book is going to be, it's Hard Ears, actually, uh, by um, Nigel Lynch and uh, Matthew Clark. And okay. so I'm big fans of their work, they're uh, out of, they're Bayesian, so they're from Barbados, and okay. they're both uh, artists and writers. Uh, and there's actually like a really cool comic scene on Barbados, and so I came across their work through a friend's work, and uh, we became, uh, you know, friends online. And I knew that they were working on things, and I was like, you know what? I really want to expand into the diaspora. You know, what I'm saying like, I, so the thing that they created. I mean, Hard air is essentially is a. I don't even know how to explain it. It's almost like if you took something like Spirited Away, Peter Pan, and fused it with like, you know, Bahamian uh, with a Barbadian culture. <laughs> it's, it's like all over the place, and also too, it has a little bit of British, you know, uh, comics. Feel it. it just feels like 2000 AD or something like that too, because that's the comment that they came up on because they were colonized by Britain, right by, mm-hmm. by the UK. So, so they're there for a long time was a you know a UK colony, and that comes out in the aesthetics, you know. So it's like the the layouts are crazy, and you know, it's just like a world you've never seen before. So, so if you can imagine like futuristic, you know, fantasy Barbados, <laughs> you know, yeah, and that's what. That's the world that they've created with pirates and political satire, it's just a beautiful thing. So that's the next book. And then um, after that, uh, this book called Black Star. Um, that basically is like, it's really kind of a, I love the fact because it, it changes the point of view. It makes you really respect like uh, how wonderful like female protagonists can be in a story like this. It's, it's set in like the far future and it's about this team of women who are astronauts who are looking for the cure for cancer on this distant planet. It's like a it's a flower, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an accident that actually, like, um, kills most of the people. And this is actually, an, I'm not giving away too much. But then it turns into this, like, game of cat and mouse between these two women on this uh, this planet for survival. It's just, a, it reminds me of Annihilation. It has that kind of feel to yeah. it. Yeah, you know? okay um yeah and then the, the fourth book that's coming out in the spring is it was it we crashed the schedule with a um with a shorter piece it's only like i think the book is only like sixty some pages but it it basically is is uh a, a um it's for a younger audience it's an introduction to the Tulsa race massacre it's for teachers yep. and students and you know this kind of thing and so it's um it's almost like this kind of like it feels like a storybook you know kind of thing so mm. St- Stacy Robinson, who was a good friend of mine who did the uh, the book with me, uh, I Am Afonso Jones, is the yeah. writer for right. it, he's the artist for it. It's written by Alvin Ball. And it basically is gonna be out for the centennial of that particular uh, horrible event. And so, yeah. it's, uh, you know, so it has an essay by Colette Yellowrobe who is a Native American scholar and uh, Renato Anderson who studies like black uh, history and s- social movements. And so they wrote this really cool, compelling Contextualizing essay for us, and we have a timeline and you know resources for teachers, and I think it's I think it's gonna be a cool a cool book, you know. Uh, yeah. Be controversial, I'm sure, because it's you know, it's about like this horrible event that people seem to finally learn about through HBO shows, <laughs> you know, because after
0: Watchmen, right? Yeah. yeah,
1: Watchmen and Lovecraft Country both had you know, right. Yeah. So yeah. You know, so,
0: like, yeah. Uh, why why do you think it'll be controversial in terms of like bringing that into education where it has yeah. been typically I mean, not not included, I suppose.
1: Exactly, because that's the reason why a lot of people haven't heard of it. You know, it just you know like so many students that I taught about it. They're like, I had never heard of this. Again. Yeah, so, you know, no,
0: it's crazy. I, yeah. I had that exact experience, and it's it's yeah. one of the things where you look back and it's like, why why did we not ever hear well, about? We not
1: learn about this exactly. Well, yeah. and, you know, a lot of it's about you know, well, the victor writes history, and, and and a lot of times you know, Black history is not considered to be American history. You know, and that's the thing. So, but it is like our history is interwoven, and I think. The fact that, you know, this story that, that the megascope is in was just kind of like in his papers, in Du Bois's papers waiting to be discovered is just such amazing, so amazing to me. And I guess I want to try to bring that kind of wonder to the line too, you know? So yeah. yeah.
0: Perfect. Cool. No, I, I'm really looking forward to what's coming from Megascope and from yourself. Um mm-hmm. are there any uh non-megascope items that that you're looking to uh, talk about going into 2021, or is that the, the full weight of your attention? I mean, I'm sure that's well, is It
1: can't be, you know, I, I got too many things going, but, you know, I'm, uh, you know, there's some things I'm trying to, I, I can't really talk about that are in the mix that are not, you know, uh, I've been doing like a lot of consulting work. I do like a lot of freelance work. So there's things that I'm working on that will be announced later that I, you know, can't talk about at the moment. But sure. a lot of my focus is on. The building the line. I want it to be a, a space where people who have different ideas about what should be in comics you know um, out there. And I love the fact that Abrams is is celebrating you know, everyone. I mean, they want everyone to read comics. So you have like the main line, you know, you have like a lot of like all reader stuff that they're doing. Um, they also have Mariko Tamaki's Shirley line. I mean, Mariko Tamaki is doing like an LGBTQ plus uh, line of comics with oh. called Shirley. So she's like I the check that out.
0: I've not seen that. Yeah. Yet.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, they're doing some they're gonna do some dope books, man. <laughs> <Awesome. That's laughs> like, awesome. Yeah, so it's gonna be comics for everyone. So when you come to Abrams Comic Arts, who whoever you are, whatever your interest is, they're gonna have books for you, you know, and yeah. also historical like books about comics. That's where they started too. So you right. know,
0: that's, they, that's, how I, that's how I got re- contacted the first time, because I do a lot of Marvel stuff, and they have, like, I think yeah. the upcoming next year, they got, like, Marvel stamps, like, the history of that yeah. whole
1: thing. Yeah, so they got, like, they like a, um, they're doing this new Fantastic Four book. I get it, I, I'm get, i a comics geek. You know, so. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, I love that also stuff.
1: The, the poster book that they're doing. Ooh, that's going to be... The
0: Alex good. Ross one. Yeah. No, well, then,
1: that one, but there's also this other one, dude, that they're doing. is uh, nineteen, the 1970s, like, Black light posters that Marvel did.
0: Oh, Nice. Yeah. nice. <laughs> awesome. Okay, yeah. cool. I'm looking forward to all that. All right, yeah. John, this was uh, this was a pleasure. Thanks so much for hopping on and talking about this. People, I'll include all this linked in the show notes, of course, but definitely recommend people check out After the Rain when that is available here. I think it'll be February 2021 if I have the release date. No, no, January 5th. January 5th. Oh my goodness. Yeah, well, it's not like January
1: 5th. Next week.
0: Yeah, no, it's like tomorrow practically. <laughs> <laughs>
1: tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, okay. Cool. Then we will definitely get this available. It should be ready to check out and uh, and keep an eye on on what's coming from Megascope because I th- I'm really looking forward to what's what's next for you guys uh, in 2021. So, all right, John, thanks so much, and I'll uh, we'll talk to you uh, talk to you
1: soon. Thanks, Dave. I really appreciate you. Thanks for having me.